When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh. It is now recording. Okay. All right. So uh, yeah. episode 710 with Mr. Jeff Davis. And um, I don't even remember which episode it was. It's that they all they all start to run together. But I had said something along the lines of I, oh, I don't even remember which guest it was. Something about Weissman. Crypt- Weissman. OK, OK. Yeah, we were talking about crypto. And, uh, you know, I love using analogies and I love trying to make things sound simple. Right. Isn't that what Einstein said or one of the smart guys said that, you know, if you can't explain it uh, simply, then you don't understand it well enough. And I made a joke that I never actually heard anyone explain crypto easily. I'd had guys on here before that had started their own cryptos and started their own NFTs. And I'd always kind of find myself 20 minutes into it. And I'd be like, like, you clearly know it better than me. But like, you don't know it. You know, you explain addition. There's no there's no uhs. There's no you're searching for words. You're like, here's one water bottle. Here's another. See how there's two? That's two. One plus one is two. It's pretty simple. And uh, I think Dr. Weissman said the same thing. He goes, I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain crypto easily. And someone commented, it might have been you or someone else, that said, this guy can explain crypto easily. And Weissman said Matthew Crawford. Okay. Well, so, well, I had somehow got in touch with you. Someone had met, I don't remember how I got in touch. Again, the episodes run together. But one thing led to another, and it was, uh, I was informed that you could explain crypto easily. So I've got you for exactly, it's 2.16 my time, 59 minutes. And obviously, we can always do a part two, three, five, whatever. But Mr. Davis, for, well, first, please introduce yourself to the audience and then explain crypto to me. Okay, I'm Jeff Davis. I am a retired engineer living in Mexico. In 2017, after, well, actually back in 2014, my wife, sitting over in her little office chair area, said, Bitcoin looks like the wave of the future. We should invest in that. And we got put $85,000 into crypto at at Bitcoin at 300. I went from being just a regular guy to a multimillionaire. And with those resources... I decided to, and and at the moment in 2017, when the ICO phenomenon was at its height, the Wild West gold rush in ICOs, I saw a mechanism where I could fund a variety of projects that I was uh, had accumulated over the years, and I now had the resources to do it. So uh, that was what led me to... Find a fellow in um, in the Bay Area who had some experience in startups, and we teamed up to create an ICO um, investment bank. And uh, I, we began to build the groundwork for that. And at one point, I went to Washington with uh, an investment banker associate that we'd hired uh, to go to... Um, uh, the financial services subcommittee um, and see if we could get them to help us to get the Securities and Exchange Commission to um, 
green light our, our effort. Uh, we met, I, I went to the, to Washington three times and twice met with, um, members of Congress and once actually went into the White House and spoke with a lower level individual. Uh, but what happened was on the very first meeting, we, uh, we met with all the Congress people on the, the Financial Services Committee, and they were all very friendly. Um, the uh, politicians, individual politicians generally are very amiable, and that was great. But then we met with the Senate Banking Committee, and that meeting was like a Guantanamo interrogation. Their hostility was palpable. And I realized at that moment that there was going to be a war between the established financial people and cryptos. And I was a little guy. No way was I in any position to fight that. Uh, and indeed, after our meeting with them, uh, we got a subpoena from, uh, <laughs> from the SEC. And that cost me 15 grand for, to uh, arrange with a law firm for a one hour conversation with the SEC. That was a shot across my bow and I didn't need a second one. So I put that on uh, in cold storage and moved over to other, other activities. Um, Let's see. But having entered in 2017 into that, into that uh, crypto space, I got a very steep learning curve and, uh, and discovered uh, items about money, about the financial, um, the financial services, worldwide system, uh, Goldman Sachs, the SEC regulatory situation, uh, and the various money police organizations of the, of the uh, uh, Department of Justice and the uh, Secret Service and the Treasury, etc. So, uh, but the most interesting thing about it was the study of money and what money actually is. Uh, I think people don't understand, but the crypto, the emergence of cryptos is giving people a, a lesson in what money actually is and how it works. Yes. And, and, and I'm going to add one more item here before I move on to the rest of the items. And that is that in 1933, FDR hired some of the worst criminals of Wall Street to create a regulatory structure that would then create, um, uh, uh, re restore confidence in the American capital markets. Now, on the same theory that you would hire a master burglar to help you prepare your house uh, to have defense against burglary. And they did that. They created a system that does that. But they also at the same time, and I think understandably, created a system that allowed them to monopolize that activity. They built a wall around all the uh, funding of um, entrepreneurial enterprises, stocks, uh, companies that wanted, wanted stocks issued. They created an exclusive club where they and they alone – could deal with creating a situation where the public could invest in stocks. You can get a private investor, people called qualified 
investors, which amounts to someone with more than $2 million in net worth, to privately invest in any kind of a startup company with any kind of a, an idea, uh, almost without any regulatory oversight. But if you want the public to be involved with a stock that's offered for public sale, you have to go through a very complicated process where you prove that the the company you're issuing the stock has an established record. It's already profitable. Uh, you have to show all of the numbers, understandably, in order to prevent uh, fraud uh, and people being taken advantage of, as they were by the Wall Street, what can I call them, um, operators, uh, <laughs> before uh, leading up to 1929. So... Um, what I discovered is that this monopoly prevents the kind of entrepreneurial activity, robust entrepreneurial activity, anyone anywhere with a cell phone can start, take their idea and run with it and, and offer it to the public. The regulatory uh, restrictions prevent that. And I think most people take it for granted that that system is kind of like a, like gravity or water running downhill. It's it's a natural situation uh, based on kind of some kind of natural law. When in fact, it's it's a people law. It's Wall Street law. Um, and what it does is it blocks the kind of robust entrepreneurial activity that we saw briefly between 2013 and 2017 in the ICO space, in the ICO activity. Uh, and personally, I think that now with the limited opening, um, there are still certain regulatory issues uh, around ICOs, but we now have a robust entrepreneurial activity in that area, which could be even greater if the regulations were eased if there was some permission given and there are a number of people in congress who are um, in favor of that and working towards that uh, we've come a long way since 2017 the expansion of the crypto space okay um what do you want to know and by the way uh, the crypto space has expanded so rapidly, though, although I had a pretty good knowledge of the basics in the years following 2017 and my study of it, like many, many fields, that expansion has run way, way far, way ahead of me. I'm no longer up to speed on all the details of the secondary levels, for instance, the current um, focus on DeFi, that is distributed or decentralized finance. I, I have the basics because the basics still apply, but there's so much activity in that space that I don't think any single human being uh, is is uh, comprehensive in their knowledge of that area. It, it seems to almost be like a, like medicine as it advances, right? You can go to medical school, but you go and you become a specialist, right? You go, you go do a neurosurgery residency and then specifically which part, and then you go do fellowships and publications and you get so hyper-specified. Um, so for me, I don't think I ever truly understood what money was. Embarrassingly, I'm 31, probably until last summer. I, uh, 
I, I decided to just I picked up a book. Um, well, I'd read uh, The Plot to Seize the White House by Jules Archer uh, about 1933, Smedley Butler, FDR, the, the, uh, how they want the, the business plot, how they want to overthrow the White House because um, they're getting rid of the gold standard. And that got me interested in the Fed, which I had never really read into before. I love the Cold War. I'm pretty well versed in World War II, somewhat well versed in World War One, but I never actually. I had always known that it was kind of like the 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 bottom piece, the like the foundational piece of uh, a lot of power. And I was like, you know what? I need to I need to learn it. And so I listened to the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. I listened to it like two or three times in a row, and like really, I, I what I got away from it was like. Oh, it's it's the ability to constantly inflate, and then you can it's it's a it's a taxation without really any request or any you don't need a bump you don't need to move tax bracket you can just print it until all of a sudden you have more and the other guy doesn't and you can offset it with gold or or physical assets. But enough that that's about what I took away and understood, and then I understood like the concept of crypto. Oh, I was like, oh, okay, it's 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 just back to the gold standard, right? It's like an ounce of gold now is about an ounce of gold now is, I don't know, with, with charges about two grand. That's, you know, my rent plus my utilities plus my internet, my food, uh, medical bills, insurance. For me, it comes out to about two grand a month. And you can look back to like 1912. And really for like a, a single guy with like an apartment in like not in the middle of nowhere, but not a city, it came out to about like an ounce of gold a month. And I was like, that's fascinating. Like, that is stability. That's consistency. But then you look at the price of it and you're like, as we're seeing right now for future listeners, Thursday, February 17th, 2022, with inflation right now, right? You can see the price of things just going through the roof. So I understood the the value of something like gold. And then, okay, so like, you know, the the... Uh, was it the Bretton Woods uh, conference, Nixon closing the gold window, FDR even saying he can't own any. I understood all of that idea of like, oh, so as we move from that, it's now backed by nothing, which is now that gold is the U.S. dollar and the U.S. dollar is backed by the U.S. military, is if we really boil it down to, which you could maybe even argue is more powerful than gold, right? So I understood that that crypto is just, it's kind of gold it, in the most simple form. It's gold 2.0, um, but much easier to distribute. It's not we don't have to like cut off a sliver of gold and go to the store and who's going to take a sliver of gold? Like I would like to buy these apples. They're like this isn't 1850. You can't do that. Gold's an effective storage of value. It's no longer used yes. as a medium of exchange. Yes, it is the it is the uh, it's the it's the NORAD bunker full of like supplies. It's like you're not going to use that on any given day. It's there for like a nuclear winter. Now, with that being said, I don't understand what crypto is. I've heard a million people talk about it. You got to mine it, blockchain, proof of whatever, tethered to physical reality. You can't – to me, like I keep hearing these words, but whenever someone explains it to me, they it sounds like they know it, but they don't explain it well enough. And to me, I'm like, well, then I, I still don't grasp it. I need someone to – the best teachers are the ones that could take organic chemistry and break it down into like circles and squares. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. No one's done that for me yet. And that is what okay. I'm tasking you with. Let me take a try. All right. One of the problems here 
is that sometimes people take something that is very, very simple and they make it complicated or they expect it to be complicated. And then somehow it's difficult to understand because they miss the fact that it's really very, very simple. Okay. okay and I think that's happening here. The, uh, the crypto people, people have as their primary interest in existence, their personal safety and health and that of their, their friends and family. The second thing, or very high up on the list, is protection of their personal wealth. The stuff that they need to live with, their economic situation. You don't want your money stolen. You don't want your car stolen. You don't want your house stolen. You want all of these things kept safe. And that is the fundamental value of Bitcoin. I'm going to start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the the foundation. It's the first item, and it demonstrates these factors very well and clearly. Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin is the asset, and the blockchain is the safe that keeps that asset secure. And that really is what it's about. It's a place for people to make sure that their personal wealth is safe. The blockchain has two features which provide this function. One is it's distributed so that there are computers around the world processing the running the software that processes the transactions and maintains the record securely. This provides safety from governmental interference because the government can't stop that. No government can stop that. If the United States or China or Russia or India or anybody says you can't deal in cryptos, you can't mine them, you can't have them, you can't use them, that power is limited to their jurisdictions and the the uh, processing of the cryptocurrency on the computers outside their jurisdiction continues un unabated. So you have you have uh, protection from the government being able to seize your assets. They can't touch the contents of the blockchain. They can't hack it. They can't corrupt it. The cryptographic basis is what keeps the blockchain uncorruptible and unhackable. And the way that works is that you've heard of the 51% attack. No, no. Okay. Um, there are any number of hackers out there who would like to steal using um, cybercrime. Okay. They can't do that to crypto because the, the, the fundamental way that the crypto processing takes place called mining um, requires a very substantial amount of computation. In order to get access to the underlying record of who owns what, that's the blockchain, uh, you have to have the ability to overpower the rest of the people who process the cryptos. To do that, you need 
you need a fit what what's called 51% of the processing power that is used to to maintain the blockchain you have to have a majority that way the consensus you can control the consensus and you can get anything you want to the to the uh, record that is the blockchain now that you can accomplish that one of two ways you can either hijack half of all more than half of all the existing processing power thus gaining that majority or if those folks don't want to cooperate with you and they won't they don't want to you would have to set up a processing capability equal to what already exists the difficulty of doing that is so great that is virtually impossible and that secures the blockchain so you have the distributed nature which prevents anybody from schooling around any any state power from schooling around with it and you have the cryptographic uh security which prevents any hacker or cyber criminal or bad actor from um from overpowering the system okay um i want to go back a little bit and explain the blockchain and the the technology behind it. um here is where the simplicity comes in the blockchain is just a ledger it's just a database that maintains the record of ownership and people want their ownership to be secure so maintaining the record with integrity is the fundamental um function of this entire system the bitcoin network and the and the, the the blockchain blockchain let's break it down it's a chain of blocks we know what a on super bowl sunday block has one meaning you walk along new york's streets block has another meaning and then you have a block of stock and you have children's blocks so you have a chain of blocks and what kind of blocks are they this is a uh a data a block of data it's just a block of data it started out with the genesis block issued by uh satoshi nakamoto back in 2009 and then each there was a sequence that's where the chain comes in a chain a sequence of data blocks you had the genesis block that was the first one second third fourth fifth and so on i'm not sure what the number is at currently uh and what happens here is that you have a record of the ledger everybody owns this and that all of the wallets with all of the amounts in them and then naturally that ledger is going to change as daily transactions occur moving items from one account to another okay each of these transactions is then run through the SHA256 uh cryptographic hash function which reduces the information about that transaction to a alphanumeric string of 64 bits every transaction can be re- reduced to that in fact the SHA256 cryptographic hash function can reduce any finite data file any data file of any size to 
uh, alphanumeric um, string of 64 bits. These are hexadecimals, so it would be 0 through 9, and then A, B, C, D, E, and F. You, you understand that concept, yep. the hexadecimal? I'm, I'm, I'm holding on. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on. Okay. So now you have a 64-bit string that, it, that, that records the, uh, the genesis block or any individual block down the line. So what you have is you have this 64-string bit of the last block and then all of the 64-string bits of the transactions. And when that reaches a certain block size, I'm not sure what it is, one megabyte, uh, that's the time to encode the new block. The new block includes the 64-string bit that was the old block and all of those 64-string bits that comprise all of the transactions that are going to be uh, put into the new block to indicate what the current status of the, of the uh, ledger is. Okay? okay? Now, that that block of data is then given to the miners. The miners run it through their hash function and they run it through, I mean, the level of the, the, the hash rate recently was 250 million terahashes per second, which means that they run the same hash function over and over and over and over and over and over again until they solve the problem. Now, the solution to the problem comes in a very specific form. When that 64-string bit starts with seven zeros, that's the solution to the problem. And you have to run the damn hash function again and again and again and again and again until finally, out of just random chance, yeah. you find the hash function with the, the seven zeros in front. That's the solution to the problem. Now... Why do they do this? They do this because if you need that amount of work, then no one outside can overpower the system. Got it. So that's, that's okay. Now, let's go back a little bit to the ledger itself. Uh, you're familiar with uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol? Yes, I believe. In the movie? Yeah. Bob Cratchit, the, the little crippled kid, and, yeah, yeah. And, and Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have an image in my mind of Bob Cratchit uh, sitting at that tall chair in front of the lectern in the cold office, because Scrooge won't heat the office. <laughs> and he's got a book in front of him. And he writes down all of the business transactions for the day. Every, all the revenue that comes in, all the payments that go out. And at the end of the day, he closes the book. The book is put into a safe so that it cannot be tampered with. And he goes home. And the next day, they take it out of the safe. They open it up, and they begin to do the same thing. It's a very simple image, but this is what the blockchain does. It just does it automatically. And it keeps it safe not by putting the book in the safe, but by virtue of the cryptographic nature that cannot be corrupted, hacked, overpowered. So 
the reason now that Bitcoin serves the same purpose as gold, but better because you can do peer-to-peer -peer transaction without any intermediary. And it's, of course, uh, um, it's automatic. So the actual cost of doing a tr personal transaction is lower than the cost which the financial services, the old system of banks, would uh, would charge you. It's just, it's 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 cheaper, and therefore economically, it's an improvement on the old system. Uh, but it's really simple. It's just you maintain the record and you update the record every ten seconds uh, by taking that that one. I think it's one megabyte uh, block of data all the transactions until they reach that size and then do the cryptographic uh, uh, processing to create a 64 string um, bit with seven zeros in the front that represents the data that that upgraded data that will then be verified that it in fact is an accurate uh, uh, hash of that data uh, by the other participants and a certain amount of bitcoins will be will be uh, uh, given to the wallet of the processor who found the solution to the problem to the, to the you know mathematical problem now um, there are there are mining firms who have thousands of machines and they run, they run the hash and they make a lot of money because they're with their thousands of machines. They frequently are the ones to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Then there are things called mining pools where people who have one machine who couldn't reasonably collect on a daily basis might take them months or even years to solve the problem. They just join up with whole bunches of other people. They pool their resources and they occasionally solve the problem, and then the the uh, the proceeds are distributed equally among them. There's a cool. I see. Question. No, no, I was going to say there's this <clears throat> there's this channel that I tried to get the guy on, but I never heard back from him, which just is kind of par for the course for the podcast. You send out a hundred emails, you get one, you get one response. But it was this guy who was my, somewhere in like Estonia or Latvia, and he had this warehouse, and I didn't know this with like a. Like I have a gaming computer right here and it's, it's, it has fans or it's air cooled. Um, but then there's water cooling. I didn't know this, that if you take mineral oil, it's, it's non-conductive and it's the weirdest thing. It like, it, it intuitively, it's like dividing by zero. Your brain doesn't, you look at it and you're like, how is this working? But they'll take whole computers and submerge them into like fish tanks full of mineral oil. You're like, your brain doesn't compute. You're like, how is that machine running underwater? It's because there's zero conductivity. So it doesn't short circuit. So with direct cooling instead of just pipes and copper plating, but 100% everything's covered. This guy had this bank of these big, like, freezer chests, something that you'd put, like, you know, just a ton of meat in for months at a time. And he had them filled with uh, mineral oil, brought down to whatever the freezing point is. I think it's mostly water, so it's maybe, like, 33 degrees. It might be less. Um, and he had... the mineral oil through... Uh, cycle the hot mineral oil... Uh, yeah, through the freezer and back uh, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he had this whole bank of it, and then he had all these. He just had all these, uh, like graphics cards, like thirty nineties, just submerged in there. And you're looking at it, and I was like, "This is just, this is like to the nth degree." 
And I guess he was like, he's like one of the most successful miners, but that is like, you're like, okay, well, that's what this guy does. I'm not doing that. You're not doing that. So that's okay. The pool. So that's just a, something popped into my head. Yeah. It's so if you want to do it, I mean, if you had the capital, you know, if you're a billionaire, you could, you could, you know, make a dent in it, but sorry, back to what you're saying. Well, the Bitcoin mining machines, here's the, here's an element of it. <clears throat> Your ability to make money by mining is dependent on uh, the, uh, the rate at which your machines can run the hash function. And so they have these uh, ASICs chips that are specifically designed to run the hash function and they put them into the machines. And um, you, But the thing is that with the advances in chip size and speed and less energy, um, these machines are only really good for about three years yeah. until the next generation of chips comes out so and the current top of the line um chip machines i don't remember the hash rate uh, some 100 110 terahertz terahashes per second they cost 15 grand a piece now that's not bad i mean if you can turn the money yeah yeah, yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna crank out terahashes and they're gonna make you um, get your Bitcoin earned. Uh, the problem, of course, is that uh, they're only gonna last for three years until the next uh, generation of machines comes out, and then and then there'll be a little delay because uh, it takes a while for the company that makes the machines to ramp up production and sell a bunch of those machines so that the others ones they don't actually go out of date. It's just that when their hash rate isn't as good as the new machine, yeah, they earn less. So you're you're paying for the energy and you're getting less and less return. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the machines they they uh, earn their their keep relatively quickly. So it's not uh, it's it's a there's it, gotta be some pay. there's gotta be some temptation. There's as there always is in government. Man, if you're like the director of the NSA and you're looking at some whatever, like quantum, like proto quantum computer that's classified and it's going to be classified for the next 30 years. And it's like you're a civil servant, but another part of you is like, oh, baby, <laughs> this thing could, you know, we could be cashing out Bitcoins every second. Um, but you got to you got to imagine, is there that is there that temptation for a state power? If that's just another field of warfare, economic warfare, man, you get the what is it? The, the Chinese the Tian Tianjin. Uh, whatever, like Tianjin one or something, or I know the U S and China, we go back kind of every other year with who has the fastest supercomputer. You got to imagine that that would have to be somewhere on the table for like just a form of just, I don't know, hegemony, whether it's, you know, satellites or tanks or nuclear missiles, you got to imagine one of them would be, Hey, can we print our own Bitcoin? Well, the worldwide money system definitely is um, a strategic issue. Absolutely. Uh, with the American dollar being the dominant uh, reserve currency, competitive currencies uh, are an issue. Uh, China is working to generate a digital currency. That's not a cryptocurrency. Yeah. That's just a currency mounted on the internet that the Chinese will control centrally, just like the Fed and then Treasury Department control American currency. Yeah. Uh, um, 
And it looks like the objection of the uh, government, uh, American government, as expressed by the Senate Banking Committee interrogation that I went through, uh, suggests that they're concerned that this will create a problem for the American dollar's hegemony. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't stop progress. Yeah. This thing, because it's unstoppable by governments, is going to move forward because it's more efficient. It's going to be adopted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, people are going to have to deal with it. The Americans are going to have to deal with it. You can't put your head in the sand. I mean, you know, Truman saw the, the, the horrors of World War One. Truman saw the horrors of dropping two atomic bombs, and it was under his office, the uh, Beardlot Project, that uh, that the scientists started coming out and saying, you know, the fusion bomb is possible, a thousand times stronger than the A-bomb. And I think Enrico Fermi said it was like it's, it's an evil thing. This is not even the same as the A-bomb. They're like, this is – this is. I think they said there is a – there is a – a non-negotiable extermination factor to it. It's just, it's that big. And Truman was like, this is horrible. But when he had all the scientists in, I think the meeting lasted only seven minutes and eventually concluded with like Truman cutting one of them off and said, can the Soviets do it? And they're like, in, in several years, yes. Said, well, we have to do it because you have to stay ahead. It's just the, the creation of the space force. You just, you have to. No one's going to say, all right, we won't do it. No, that's not how that's not how nation states act. Well, it hasn't in the past been the way nation states act. But when the level of violence and power of the weapons is so great that you face annihilation, well, yeah. then perhaps it might be a good time to dial back the old, the millennial old uh, militarism thing. In the old days, you get 10, 20, 50,000 men with swords and shields and stuff and on either side, and they clash, and then one of them gets the upper hand, and you have conquest. But only the guys who litter the, the field pay the price. You know, once you've got strategic bombing, and then you add the, the atomic bomb, the nuclear bomb on top of that, we're not talking about a bunch of dead guys in the field anymore. No, it's, it's so home. It's here. Um, and, and a certain presidential candidate, uh, uh, president uh, who became president recently, said that uh, our weapons are too powerful. We need to we need to dial this thing down. We need to get along with Russia. But uh, I, I can't remember who exactly that was. <laughs> it's not. It's but not, it was a good idea. Yeah. It was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've interviewed several times or twice, not several. Garrett Graff, author of the book Raven Rock all about mutual shared destruction and continuity of government. Yeah, man, the survivors, you're, you're living in like a sterile, sterile concrete room with freeze-dried food. It's like, did you really win? Did you really, <laughs> yeah, really. Did you really win? Even the poorest nation has, your daily life would be better than it would be in a NORAD bunker. Um, but let's get back to, actually, Mr. Davis, can you, uh, can you monologue for 30 seconds? I got to use the restroom. Yeah, um, call me Jeff. Jeff, 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 welcome to Jeff Cast for the next 30 seconds. It's all yours. Let's see. What can we do here? Uh, there are, uh, there's, of course, Bitcoin as the starting point of the crypto uh, generation. Uh, and following that was Ethereum. Now, Ethereum 
has a great deal more functionality than Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't allow for um, customized software to use its network. Uh, there is Litecoin, which has been created to create a secondary layer where um, Bitcoin can be used as the fundamental uh, currency of the Litecoin uh, uh, system. But Litecoin then enables faster uh, uh, and cheaper um, processing. Uh, with Ethereum, we have a situation where any number of financial instruments can be uh, created using blockchain technology. And it, it also allows for the automation of a variety of other um, interactions. Um, the term smart contract uh, represents, uh, conveys that idea. So that now, uh, and it's, it's worth remembering that all of the software that runs both the Bitcoin blockchain and the second generation Ethereum blockchain, it's all open source, which means anyone can go to GitHub and find the exact source code that runs the Ethereum blockchain and launch their own blockchain. Now, the Ethereum blockchain is called a smart blockchain. Yeah, smart blockchain. Because it allows what are been called smart contracts. And um, yesterday, and, and Binance, which is run by a gentleman whose nickname is CZ, and I would call him reasonably the uh, Elon Musk of uh, crypto. Uh, man has a tremendous energy and is like running full speed ahead of everybody else developing the crypto space. Um, he, he took the uh, Ethereum code and he duplicated it to create uh, what's referred to as the Binance smart chain. It's another smart chain. And as an example of how easy it is to take the old code and duplicate it to create your own separate blockchain network. I was looking on, uh, on the internet the other day to find out and I discovered there are now 25 separate smart chains using essentially the Ethereum code. Um, the folks at Binance, CZ has modified that code because where Ethereum has an almost unlimited number of processing nodes, that fact makes the Ethereum uh, transactions uh, have a certain level of expense, too expensive, too, uh, too costly. And the ability to transact is slow. So what uh, CZ at Binance did was he created the the Binance smart chain, but he limited the number of nodes initially to 21. My wife, who studies this for me, told me yesterday that he's expanded the number of nodes from 21 to, I think, 41. But this lesser number of nodes means they can run faster and run cheaper. Now, I said earlier that this technology has run away, way ahead of my ability to keep track of it. 
And as an example, when I first got involved, there was a listing of um, crypto tokens uh, that was, uh, it's called CoinMarketCap. Have you ever gone to CoinMarketCap? It's, it just provides a list of all of the currently functioning crypto tokens. When I first got involved in this, there were 600 of them. Now there are 12,000 of them. And that, that 12,000 that are listed on the coin market cap listing, by the way, CZ bought coin market cap. So it now is under the uh, Binance umbrella of, uh, uh, of, that, of uh, resources. The Ethereum blockchain now supports 200,000 separate Ethereum tokens. They have, they're, they're a secondary token based on the Ethereum blockchain. And I, I sought, I tried to get a number. I wanted to see how many tokens are supported by the Binance blockchain. I wasn't able to find out, but I did discover that um, apparently there was one listing that showed that there were 3,000 new tokens issued in the last 24 hours. So people are piling on to this technology at a, at a, an ex, at a tremendous, tremendous rate. And uh, then there are, of course, all of the various structures, functional structures, you may have heard of something called the Distributed Autonomous Organization, a DAO, okay? A DAO is basically an automated corporation. The activities of the corporation are written into code that is mounted on the Ethereum or alternatively any of the other smart chains. So that the, the, the execution of events that would normally be the process by which a corporation moves its performs its daily activity are now automated with software uh, and that's just one of a whole bunch of functions that frankly I, I i don't know about all of them but i do know that any damn contract you want to create and any financial instrument of any sort you want to invent you can encode it and mount it on a smart chain so there's that. Now what – there has to be – I mean it has to be in the minds of people though, the threat of like an EMP, right? I mean nuclear weapons give off EMPs. EMPs themselves exist as weapons. They've always been feared. It's – they're not used for the same reason we don't use nukes. It's mutual assured destruction. But even like a, like a, like a, solar, flare, a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection, right, that – you know, the gold is fine. Your dollar bills are if, fine. There are there are dangers. There are hazards to the crypto space. Yeah. And of course, since it's all mounted on the internet, anything that damages the internet is going to create a problem for the crypto space. But it will not be able to change the content the uh, of the ledger. Mm -hmm. Any information that is stored in the ledger will have a backup somewhere. Yeah. I mean, every single node of every of every uh, crypto network has a record 
of the, the information that it is intended to keep secure. And you can blow up the internet, you can blow up the computers that process this, but somewhere there will be a, uh, 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 that last block, that last uh, data block will exist. And once you get things fixed up again, you just fire it back up again. Yeah, as long as someone has it on some EMP shielded thing. Because like I have 710 podcasts, Uh, this is my well-being. I invested like 200 bucks on these, uh, on this like Faraday like box thing and actually have one of the hard drives in it just on the off chance that there's ever some, right. You can have waterproof, fireproof, whatever. But I was like on the off chance, I was like, I just need one copy because I can always put it back out and then duplicate it a million times. So someone's, someone's got someone whose wealth is entirely tied up on this probably invested 200 bucks and just has a hard drive somewhere. Um, and, but then that's that's got to raise the question, right, of intentional sabotage. Well, I guess no. I guess that wouldn't matter because if you still had all the records, I was going to say, let's say I, I say, let's say I corner the market and get a couple billion in Bitcoin. You know, maybe I'm some uh, some James Bond evil character. But wouldn't I want to maybe nuke the internet so I'm the only one with the Bitcoin and so I become king? But I guess it wouldn't matter as long as there's a backup somewhere, right? So that kind of yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, although we have a very interesting Hollywood script possibility yes. uh, where the master of evil does something somewhere and captures all the Bitcoin. Now, now can... Played by Mark Myers. Yes. Uh, Michael Mike Myers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, how is it that there's... And just, I, so I got I got to run in 11 minutes. We're, we're, get, we're definitely going to have to do a part two. How is it that there is a predetermined number of bitcoins when people say there's only so many left how does that written into does... The, it's written into the code the uh the the processing of the um of the blockchain information uh would reward the people doing the processing with x number of bitcoin in the beginning and then after a certain period of time, one half of X. After a certain period of time, one half of that. And after a certain period of time. And this uh, lessened reward, the lesser reward cycle continues uh, until there reaches a point in 2020, 2030, 2028, 2028, I, I don't remember the number, where all of the Bitcoins have been issued and the total is 21 million. Can't go past that. It's locked into the into the code. And of course, that uh, I didn't mention it earlier is another function and value of the blockchain in that it prevents any dilution of yeah, value. No inflation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter if someone loses their hard drive. I mean, it sucks for them, but it still just rides the price up higher. It just okay. I want to I want to mention something. I want to go to another piece of this that I had thought about before we uh, met. And that is the way the, uh, the, the, the cryptocurrency um, phenomena has developed. I'm going to take Bitcoin in particular. The computer programmers who built it launched it in 2009. At that point, only a few computer savvy techno weenies knew about it. And uh, they played around. It was a little little plaything for them. 
it had been intended and was intended and is now functioning as an online currency, a digital currency. There have been three or four attempts before that, which didn't actually uh, catch on, but uh, the Bitcoin currency has. Now, what happened is these guys would buy a million Bitcoin or 10,000 Bitcoin for five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, and then they would sell it the next day or the next week or something for 10 bucks, uh, for 50 bucks. That was fun. I mean, you put in $10, get $50 out, kind of like a, kind of like a, a slot machine. Yeah. Okay. Then they said, well, that's nifty. I'll put in a thousand bucks and get out $5,000. And when word of that kind of thing gets out, everybody rushes to get rich quick. And you have a speculative frenzy. So the value of Bitcoin went from nothing to 1,000 very quickly. Now, there are three kinds of people who deal with Bitcoin. I more, but I'm going to categorize them in this way. You have the get rich quick, um, crazy people that people are nuts to make money and become billionaires. You know, then you have the very calm traders. These are the kind of people who deal in stocks and bonds. They understand the patterns. They know when to buy and when to sell. Um, and then you have people who aren't really involved in either trading or have gone nuts with the rise of of Bitcoin value, they put it there to be safe. They also notice that it increases in value and they're not unhappy about that. But they're they're a little calmer. Uh, These are the people who are described as holders, Mm -hmm. uh, except that they change the spelling. But basically, they're holding on. They're holding as it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. They're just hanging in there. Now, the cool heads, the traders, they understand how emotion drives activity in these markets. So they know, they have a concept of how the speculative frenzy will drive the price up. And then at some point, they and their crew will begin to sell. And that will drive the price down. And the people who put in at the top, they panic. They Again, they're emotion-driven. And so they sell because they don't want to lose their money. And then they will sell. The holders will hold on. The price will go down to the bottom. And then the traders will identify that that's the bottom. And then they'll buy back in again. And the sequence will, will start up again. There's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of criticism based on the concept of volatility. Okay, but let's go through the record for Bitcoin. Started at zero, went to a thousand, dropped to three hundred, went to twenty thousand, dropped to three thousand, went to sixty-four thousand, dropped to three to thirty-two thousand, and now it's back up to forty-four. This instability, this volatility, should eventually stabilize when the initial period of the development of this of this uh, financial instrument matures. In engineering, there's a concept of the transition of uh, uh, dynamic systems from 1967 uh, at Case Institute of Technology. There, uh, in any dynamic system, you have what's uh, the transit, transitory state and the steady state. We're in the transitory state of Bitcoin development. 
when, I don't know, take 10 years more, but eventually when it becomes an established international currency, it should steady up. And this, this rapid fluctuation should settle down. Uh, but uh, at the moment, it's on its way up. Yeah. And whether it goes like this or whether it goes like this, it's the average is like this. So people are getting into it, seeing that value. So <clears throat> got like five minutes left. I'm an idiot and I have another podcast after this, but I'm going to email you and we're going to set up another one because I do want to pick your brain more. Um, will Bitcoin be replaced by more efficient cryptocurrencies? Is it not, is it not the end game? Is it like everything? Is there going to be a Darwinian selection? There's going to be something that moves faster, more efficiently, is somehow even more secure? Uh, two things. One, uh, digital technology, unlike material technology, is more easily and rapidly uh, uh, able to be upgraded. Yeah. So Bitcoin has a development team. And they understand that the <coughs> excuse me, energy usage is an issue and the speed of processing is an issue. So they're going to work to try to uh, reduce that. So Bitcoin's underlying software will evolve. Uh, but you're absolutely right that other currencies, that other um, digital assets that are more favorable uh, Faster transaction speed, lower transaction costs uh, will arise as competitors. I think there are a few of them out there already. Uh, Bitcoin op- occupies the the um, what's it called the uh, pride of place because it was the first yeah. and it, it's doing so well. Okay, Ethereum, for instance, and and we'll move over to Ethereum. Uh, their network began uh, using that same. Um, proof of work that requires so much energy, but they are now transitioning over to something called proof of stake, which means that people who own Ethereum, they put their Ethereum into a a special um, blockchain called the uh, Ethereum 2, and uh, they become the verifiers of the validity of the blockchain um, record that eliminates that processing, that cryptographic processing burden, which is used on Bitcoin to secure the network. This, so those folks, and Ethereum is moving from proof of work to proof of stake. They, they figure another two, another year or so before all of the Ethereum blockchain gets transitioned over to Ethereum 2.0, which is the proof-of-stake blockchain. But this kind of evolution um, is what you're talking about and will inevitably happen, uh, and more rapidly than, let's say, any kind of physical technology. You know, with with automobiles, for instance, you had your um, Henry Ford's first Model thing with the tiller and everything. Well, when you move to the, you, you design that, you tool up for it, you make it, you use it, you find out how you can improve it. Then you design the improvements, you change the tooling, you manufacture again, and then you 
repeat this process year over year over year, but it takes longer because you're dealing in a mechanical situation rather than a software situation where you can go much, much quickly, more quickly than that. Yeah. Um, because my next guest just entered the room, so I'm going to have to cut this one off. Jeff, that was, that was a fascinating talk. Uh, I'm going to email you. I'd like to do a, another episode sooner than later. Normally, I space get guests out like a month. I'm going to email you. I think doing one next week would be cool. Uh, and I'll clear. I'll be sure not to book two. And uh, I can just let it run. For I would love to just pick your brain for a couple hours. I had a great time. So Let's I, do it. Thank you so much, man. I'll email to you when it's up. Uh, I've got this next podcast I got to do, so it won't be up till later today. I'll shoot you an email, and we'll absolutely set it up. I will clear the whole day for it, and we will go even further into it. Thank you so much for your time, man. And thank you. Thank you. All right. Catch you later. You as well. Thank you so much. Recording stopped.